Hi guys, this is CC from Beer Bubbles. Normally we release the podcast every second Friday, but this time we had to split the interview in two parts, so the next one will be launched in a week. Coming up is part one of our talk about Swedish beer history with Joel Hedman. Enjoy. Hey everyone and welcome back to the number one bubbliest podcast in the world, we think. <laughs> I'm here with uh, Cici. Yes, I'm here as always. And yet again, Mr. Joel Hedman. Hello, nice to be here again. <laughs> Welcome to Beer Bubbles. You joined us for an episode a uh, couple of months back where we talked a lot about barley wines, sours, cheese, for example. And now you're back and we're going to go a little bit deeper into the Swedish beer history. But maybe before that, you can give the audience a reminder of who you are and okay. a, a deeper explanation of why you are who you are. <laughs> why I do what I do <laughs> and how I do what I do. Exactly. Everything I do, I do because I find it interesting. And I started guiding, I think we might be approaching 15 years now. It's been roughly, it's been a companion of mine, Swedish history and beer. It's been with me the same amount of time, more or less. And uh, therefore, I like uh, beer quality beer. I've been a beer judge for a while and I've been into beer for, well, I think it's approaching 15 years, at least over 12 years. And uh, history uh, and guiding has been with me as long. And combining those two is, of course, something that I want to do. And then we put a little cheese on the side of that. So that's what I do. Because <laughs> you are from a G as well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so so <laughs> Stockholm's history. All good things in life. Yeah. Uh, the, the things that I like. <laughs> which means talking about beer or talking about history or trying beer and cheese. That's sort of what I do. Yeah. <laughs> what began that interest for you? Was it something that sparked it? Are we talking the history or the beer? Cause <laughs> the history of you. <laughs> the history of me. <laughs> the reason I started guiding and started being interested in history is because I applied for a job without really knowing what the job was. Uh, I wanted to do something else, so I applied for it. turned out to be a cruise guide job, uh, doing the cruise ship tours in Stockholm. I wasn't sure if I was going to be on a ship. I didn't really know what it was. I just applied for it. And it turned out to be the most fun I've ever had in my life, guiding people on uh, buses coming from the cruise ships. And that's when I started guiding. So, so you kept on. Yeah, it was yeah. just fun. Most people do that as a summer job because it's, well, the tourism is mainly the mm-hmm. summer season. But I just loved it so much that I do it. We're a few crazy people that try to live off of this. Mm. But it's nice that I can supplement that with my other interest, which is beer. That's nice. So you combined it, basically. Yeah. So I do do tastings, and I talk beer history, and I talk Stockholm history. And beer has been with me since I started trying other stuff than macro lagers. And I realized this is really nice. And I sort of realized I hadn't really liked beer um, before. And now I knew why, because that wasn't as good as the real beer that I started to try. What was the first beer that made you realize that this is not just macrologers? Uh, macrologers aren't everything. Uh, I don't really know, but I think it was something on the British side, some British ale of some sort. I remember in the beginning, I was very focused on color. I thought it was, okay, if it has a different color, then maybe it's a little better. So I was like, okay, if it goes a little darker, then it has more flavor. And then, well, it just had went deeper and deeper and deeper into sort of <laughs> learning more and more and more. And the more you go into both history and beer, the more you know that you don't know it all and you'll never be done. Mm-hmm. And I'm just <laughs> continuing and continuing and continuing, I guess. <laughs> 
Well, that's the fun of it. Oh yeah, learning, well, learning is. That's one of the ma- one of the main reasons why I ended up here at Akarat. It's mm. because I felt I wasn't learning anymore, and I came here and I realized I know I know absolutely nothing. <laughs> I, I need to know more. That's not how I feel. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, uh, shout out to Akarat, our our sponsor, yeah, our main and sponsor, our mm-hmm. workplace where we're sitting at right now. Yes. Uh, they looked at us weirdly, asked us what <laughs> we're doing here on day off. <laughs> we're recording a podcast, we said, with Mr. Jule Hermann. So yeah. this is what we're doing. The first question, basically, to start off the, the episode, because we're going to talk a lot about history and go deep diving for reals. From the beginning, going forward, what types of beer have people been drinking in Sweden? Um, well, the thing is, it's very difficult to be precise <laughs> in that regard. We know <clears throat> that beer, if we talk about... Beer has been around for like 9,000 years, <laughs> give or take. But we've been brewing with what we have. That's what people do. Uh, and when it comes to when we can start seeing like descriptions of beer, it's very difficult to find those because generally speaking, we don't talk about the everyday things. Like history is about the kings and about the spectacular events and things like that. So finding a description on beer is very difficult historically. But we know on like in some cases what ingredients have been used and that must have done something to the beer. We don't know how well it would have fermented, for example. We don't know what type of yeast would have been in there. But there have been a few very interesting examples where beer has actually come to life, historic beer, like in the case of um, uh, Arketyp, which is brewed oh, by, yeah, brewed by Ninasalm. Uh, Ninasalm. Mm-hmm. That's a fun one because that was uh, from an old grave. If I'm not mistaken, that was actually in Denmark, but... It's we have a similar history, and that was around I think the first century, uh, like about about near hundred something like that. And they found an old grave with a young woman in it, and uh, she had a drinking vessel, and they could uh, find out what had been inside it, finding the ingredients and in, in, well figuring out what was inside it. And uh, let's see, I think it was lingonberry, uh, it was honey, and if I'm not mistaken, it was birch. Uh, yeah, birch sap. This, yeah, birch sap. Yeah, uh, which has been used in some fun ways. I, I the, the, it feels like a very cheap. Uh, I'm not even sure if that's beer, but they uh, they talk about that in the 1600s that they used birch sap and flour to make a drink, which <laughs> doesn't sound very nice. But anyways, so we know things like that that they used a bunch of berries and birch sap, and uh, it was, was wheat that they found in there. So. That beer I've actually tried, and I know, but as I don't know what the yeast was, it's very mm. difficult to know what the end product was, but we have an idea. Well, yeah. We might just have an archetype later on, because I know we have some down in the basement. Oh, really? Cool. Yeah, still left uh, here at Akrat. Uh But I want to come back to, we we talked about you brew with what you have, yeah. and then we come to the natural conclusion of no one knew what yeast was. They knew all the other ingredients. Yeah. That is one of the reasons beer has been surrounded by so much mystique and rituals, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. It's um, They knew everything except for the yeast, but they knew they had to do it, but they didn't understand how it worked. Uh, and I'm always trying to figure out, like, how did they brew the first batch? Because everything you hear about is, well, you use the yeast from your previous batch and you put it into the new one. But <laughs> the first one must have been spontaneous fermented uh, of some sort. Yeah. But anyways, uh, the the way they did it was that they 
put in these, they used to have it in Historiska Museet, these sort of uh, wooden contraptions, uh, which has a lot of nooks and crannies in it where yeast would latch on. So you had dried yeast, so when you put it in, it would activate. So you, you literally had a, and they thought that that carried power and you had to put it in there. But in fact, the reason it worked was because they had yeast on that. And shouting thing. and screaming and dancing <laughs> naked around the barn was also part of the ritual, kind of. Yeah, and and a funny another funny thing about that is it was very important to be happy when you brewed because your the the sensation when you brewed it came through when you were sitting drinking the beer later. So you'd be smiling and and in some cases, as you said, screaming to get the evil spirits away and stuff like that. It sounds like a horrible <laughs> cult movie. Yeah. <laughs> I would have loved to be a fly on the wall. But I didn't really answer your first question because the styles that we've been drinking, I just want to g- g- make a little bit of a bridge here. We're going to go through them because we have a few beers here today. I'm yeah. going to talk about some of the styles that we know or some of the ingredients that we know that we have used uh, historically, but it has changed quite a bit over time. So I'm going to give that answer slowly throughout the yes, following. This, this question <laughs> will be followed through the entire episode. You said to me that we, around 1600s or the 1700s, we actually start to know what kind of history Sweden have, or is it earlier than that? Uh, no, I mean, when it comes to beer, I think... Uh, we have some documentation. It feels like most things that are um, that we still have a rec- record of starts roughly around the time as Christianity comes around. Mm. Before that, we're more or less in the. Feels like it's all a little bit of a. It's often written after the fact, and it's more of a, a story. But uh, before that, we had more of an oral tradition than yeah. we had of a like a written down yeah. history, and Christianity kind of brought writing. Uh, yeah. Well, at least Latin came in at, as the mystique language. Yeah, kind of. very much. But we do have, like, uh, I mean, the Vikings wrote short uh, things down in, in rune stones, as we know. Uh, but also people observed the Vikings because they did many fun things <laughs> or not so fun. <laughs> so we know some things about the Vikings of horrible rituals that uh, visitors have, have written about. But it's difficult to be, you know, know how much of that is true and how much of it is sort of pissing on your enemy, sort of a thing. <laughs> and a Sco- Scottish friend of mine tell me once that I hated Swedes and Norwegians, and I said, "Why? Because your great 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 grandfather raped my great 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 grandmother." <laughs> <laughs> well, possibly. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Let's have points. <laughs> All right, so shall we go to the first beer then? And you can talk a little bit about that and where um, we begin in the... Yeah, where should we start? And what part. are we starting with? If if you give me the bottle, you can tell me about yeah. the beer and I'll open it for us. The, the it. thing is, uh, maybe, uh, I'm not sure if this one is a little old. I had this in my... We could do either one of these. Maybe we start with that one. Because I, br- I brought two of the same thing. I wasn't sure which one we'd have on camera or on mic or whatever. <laughs> I might have shook that one a little bit. But uh, the main point of the first beer is to have something with uh, looks like uh, mm-hmm. with um, posh in it, and that would be uh, Mythica Gale, is I think the, the English name for it. I, I wrote it down just to make sure I wouldn't mess this up, and then still I messed this up. I'll I'll start it over. <laughs> uh, let's see. Rewind. 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 <laughs> um, it does look anyway. alive, though, so it's... You know I will keep this. 
I will not edit this out. No, I <laughs> no. edit nothing. Don't do that. No, but anyways, it's um, it's an herb uh, that would give a bitter, bitter component, a bittering component, somewhat of a con- um, conservation uh, preservation effect, but not as much as hops. But it was instead of hops, basically. Yeah, instead of hops, yeah. 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 And the beer is from Nerke Kulturbyggeri. Yeah, yes. and it's called Posh and Tvash. <laughs> yeah. where posh is not posh as in... Like, like high class, it's, <laughs> no. it's the, the plant. I think it actually green leaves, right? Yeah, it, it's, it's the, the herb. Mur- Mur- Murica Gale. Murica Gale. Murica Gale. It Murica actually said on the Murica. bottle. Okay, good. <laughs> so genius as I we'll, am. We'll I. take a photograph <laughs> of the of the label and put it up in our social medias as yeah. well. So, so I, I brought two of two of those, but we'll take one at a time. But the thing is, uh, hops was something that we said previously. It, we've said that it came with the monks and the nuns that they mm. would grow hops that that they would come in with that influence but that has been sort of changed in our history books rather recently that we now say it came uh, that the vikings um probably brought with them uh hops and, and grew it but it took a little while before it became commonplace to have hops in beers uh in central europe it's somewhere around i think year 1000 that hops starts to get the the dominant uh, spice. Bit, bit, bit yeah, bitter bitter agent of, of beer. Uh, it's, it's, it's I think thirteen eighty something. Uh, the first Rheinlandsky bought in Germany was actually because they didn't want people to kill themselves because <laughs> no. they had so many herbs that were bitter agents that were kind of poisonous. Yeah, and they tried to get people to use hops instead. Yeah, and mm. it's probably someone who owned big big field of hops who, who yeah. put that law in in, in place. Uh, that's, it <laughs> feels a little suspicious that they have a lot of barley and they have a lot of hops there. And they're like, we know what you need to have in beer. <laughs> well, cheers, guys. Cheers. cheers. Should we do a little? <laughs> okay. It's almost got uh, like a juniper berry note to it as well. Yeah. I see what you mean there. And um, it's very herbal. Yeah, very much so. Mm. Interesting with the, with the smell is that it smells like a brewery instead of like a finished beer. It smells <laughs> so like it smells inside like a brewery. Something is the beer. <laughs> yeah, it smells a bit like wood. Yeah, yeah. that's usually what. But a not unpleasant like. at all. It's like it's no, not unpleasant. This is this is no. really. Brewery on the other hand, Nerkut Culture Brigade does some really really good stuff, and this is. And what they also do is that they like to honor history, so they they tend to do fun historic historic uh, styles. Yeah, um, they did their Ulita series with the uh, ancient hops as oh well yeah. from Ulita. Yeah. Mm. They've done a lot of fun things like that. But anyways, uh, Posh or Mirka Gale, if I'm saying that correctly, has, Gale, yes. has been, uh, I'd say it was the standard, but you used a bunch of other herbs to spice the beer. But this would be, I'd say, the standard. And in the cities, let's see, somewhere around 12, uh, maybe 13, 1400s, it started to become more common with hops. But it feels like in the countryside, they would have used uh, other spices, for centuries after that, so wormwood, yeah, wormwood, yeah, that always sounds good when you say wormwood. <laughs> <laughs> Operation wormwood. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so they have been sort of parallel. Nothing is is like okay today we start using hops. So you could have used both, and it also depends on your uh, how much access you have to hops. But Mirkegale and and. Uh uh, wormwood was were the main uh, components to spice brandwin or hard hard liquor as well. Yeah. So, mm. yeah, it has a connection when it comes to spicing drinks. The spicing of brandwin is usually 
to make you well. If you're ill of something, you need these spices or something like that. So it's connecting that way as well. Uh, and you have the same spices in, in, in beer historically. And you hide ugly ugly flavors and, and aromas as well with it. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> We've had some really interesting uh, drinks that you could, including getting rid of plague, for example. I don't think that worked, but... <laughs> But uh, today you would use them to remove paint. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, like well this, is, this is really it's nice. Mm. Yeah, it is. It's very well balanced as well. It's. I imagine probably how, how historically speaking, you think this is this is the f- nearest like comparison you can go or to find like how it actually tasted like back in the day. No, I think you're going to have to. We're going to get to that. Mm. I think it would have all been smoky because the the beers that we would drink uh, historically. I'm a little nervous how how much that is going <laughs> to start. Okay, what? Well, uh, no, but everything would have been smoky in in Swedish history because you roasted your 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 malts um, or your barley under an open fire, so it would have been mm. um, smoke came in through into the beer. We're going to get a little bit more into that, but smoke would have been a component. The yeast would most likely have been not top quality. It was not called Speyensis all the way through. No, it was, it was uh, some kind of wild, or, or farmhouse yeast. Yeah. And that's the thing as well. Like There is uh, written documentation about certain farms and certain farm owners that you wanted to go to a party at. And some that you didn't want to go to a yeah. party at, because the beer was so much better at some farms. Definitely, so yes. they had their own culture, and basically m- yeast culture. Most likely, uh, we would have had the same the same uh, yeast as you would find in Norway, for example, kvek kvek mm. yeast, because mm. they have the same history with it drying on these those little wooden contraptions. And that the dry yeast you could use really easily again and again, and it can be fermented at really high temperatures as well. So, so most likely you would find something similar to kvek. Uh, in and it's um, quite fast as well. Yeah, very, you very fast. you wanted your drink yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm thirsty. I want it yesterday. So, yes. Uh, I think definitely it was something that, and it was fermented. Uh, I've got to ask you about the because I've poured the second beer here called yeah. Juar's Gestabud, it and it's from uh, Mulligorm. No, what? <laughs> well, but, uh, where is it from? What, what it's? Um, it would have been great for me to know this. If you look at the backside, it, it's no. got web address there called Mulligorm. 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 Ah, okay. Hmm. Um, the thing is, I, I only looked for beers that would have the correct spices. It has a nice Viking drinking from a horn on the on the. It <laughs> on looks the like label, a Viking, anyways. <laughs> uh, you watch yesterday, and this one I chose because it contains both the the gale. I'll just say mm-hmm. gale because then I don't have to say the other mm-hmm. one, uh, and honey, which I'm going to get into a little bit as well. But this is a lot darker, and if we just talk about what the beer looked like when you poured it, it did not have a healthy head. <laughs> no, no, it, it died right away. It fizzled away mm-hmm. immediately. Mm-hmm. So we'll see how this feels. Uh, There's a tiny bit left. <laughs> Cheers. 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 We can definitely feel the the that that it's the same kind of spiciness from than the that the first one, but it yes. feels much stronger and it feels much uh, more potent. Yeah, I, I think it was uh, disguised a little better in the other 
uh, in the other beer or in the first beer. It reminds me of a herb liquor. <laughs> and you get yeah. you get more roasted notes from the from the because there's more roasted malt in this one than yeah. it was in the first one. Plus, the uh, the honey has uh, well made it a little bit more potent. This is seven point four percent ABV. Yeah, and the first one was five point nine. Like so. the, the sweetness, or maybe it wasn't from the beginning. But correct me if I'm wrong now. But does honey stay with the sweetness? Stay? No, no. Honey, honey is fermentable sugars. Yeah, that's why uh, we're going to come to mead later on. But mm. that's why mead becomes strong, and it becomes mm. you end up with a drink that's around ten percent, ten eleven. Yeah, and that's because all the sugars in the honey basically you you ferment out. So this gonna have yeah. been sweeter when it was freshly made. Well, than well it w- would have been sweeter before you fermented. Oh yeah, f- yeah. fermented it. Yeah. The wort would have been sweeter. Yeah. yeah, I think uh, this is the same. It's a funny thing. Um, I remember it was an eye opener for me. If you wanna if you wanna brew a beer that's less sweet, add more sugar. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's a weird one because if I mean honey has a little bit of its own flavor. We don't talk about like you can you can smell honey and you think that it smells sweet, but sweetness is actually a flavor. But you you know that this is something that I connect to something sweet. Yeah, uh, mm-hmm. so you might have a flavor that you think is sweet, but it is fermented out. I would say complete. I'm not sure if they leave anything, but I think honey. Mm. But it's the same. It it lots of people. Pres- Except uh, like Belgian Trappist beers are sweet, but they're most of them are quite dry. Yes, because they're right. fermented so hard. But they but you associate fruity. like aromas and, and flavors with something sweet. Yeah, they're really sweet ester profiles, and yeah. the fact that they're stronger mm. tends to make them yeah sweeter in aroma. How do you when I drink uh, when I'm drinking honey beer, I find they're very floral if they have a lot of honey in them, like for the. Depends on what honey yeah, you use. Yeah, it depends on what honey you use, but as I found so far, I haven't had yeah. a lot of that honey beer. It's not, <laughs> everybody, <laughs> not everybody sells it. You, so that's when you use uh, exclusive honey, most likely, uh-huh. then you get the floral. <laughs> I know, speaking of Medicus, uh, that they used uh, some specific honey. Um, I should have brought the Mulska from them, I realize now, because I think I have one bottle left. But that's the same. That's the same honey that they used for the Stormacht's porter. They used a very specific local honey with a, that that is a big part of the the, the flavor profile of the Stormacht's porter. And Kagen, if you don't know, it yeah. was number one on Rate Beer's list of best beers in the world for I think two or three years. Yeah, uh, might have been even yeah. more. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's still up there in top ten. Yeah. And it's still a pretty awesome beer. It is. And if you want it, you can come here because we have it Mm, here as well. (laughs) (laughs) This is turning into advertisement for (laughs) Accurate. Well, we work here and there are our sponsors. (laughs) And it's it's well worth a visit. And you haven't told us we can't swear, so fuck that. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Uh, Both very interesting. Should I open the smoke beer now and and pour that as well so we can go more over to uh, what beers traditionally should have tasted like? because I've done I've done these um, sort of um, historic beer tastings before, uh, where I've taken beer what it has tasted like, essentially what we're doing now, and then in some cases you might need to adjust the beer because everybody wants to brew beer that you want to drink and buy mm. when you're a commercial brewery, but historically it would have been more probably a little bit sour, um, so we could go and sort of pour some of these together to get a better idea and better understanding what the beer would have been like. We should have had some vinegar, for example. If we add a little vinegar, we'd get some of that little 
tart, the sour note mm. to it. And this beer that we just poured is a lager beer, so it's going to be a little too clean. So if you want to make it more ale, you pour some other things into it. But anyways, maybe and, I should introduce... Uh, this, is, this is from the most... Well, this is the only smoked beer you can find at System Lager in Sweden. Yeah, well, except... Uh, well, at least uh, from uh, Bestelling Sortimented, you can get from... Um, Helsinge. Helsinge. Yeah. Mm. And that's a much lighter smoke beer. This is yeah. this is from Bamberg in Germany. It's uh, one of the most traditional breweries there called Schlenkele. Yeah. I really like this one. It smells like salami. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cheers, Cheers, guys. Cheers. And tastes like salami. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, before yeah. this, we talked about Madison, and this is actually their Madison style. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, so we can use this as a as a way of getting in there anyways mm-hmm. uh, a little bit later. But this is a good way of understanding what smoked, what, what the smoked flavor would be. And when it comes to beer, roasting malts, there are some examples of you just uh, letting, your, letting your malt uh, dry in the sun, for example. There are some examples of that historically, but mostly it was roasted under a fire, mm. and over fire, over, over, <laughs> yeah, not under. That would have been then they would have been a very dark beer process. <laughs> Strange process that we use. no, but uh, from the 1600s. But he wouldn't use the fire; they'd use the hot air with the smoke, and that's why you get yeah, the smoke. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. yeah I'm simplifying it, and maybe in a strange way, but you got what I mean, I think. Uh, but the the first sort of um, uh, where where you get. The, the smoke to actually exit without having to interfere with the malts. Mm. Um, these sort of uh, chimney-looking thing. Like mm. separators mainly. Yeah. mainly. Mm. That came in the 1600s. We have documents of that. Mm. So there were some people that managed to brew uh, beers that were not smoky at all, more on a, on a bigger scale mm. from the 1600s. So basically before that, almost all beers were smoky and tart. Yep. Probably. The tart part, the only way we know about the tartness would be in some examples where we have visitors coming to Sweden writing about what the beers taste like. Those are actually pretty fun. Most of those appear in the 1600s as well, because that's the first time people wanted to visit (laughs) 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 when we were a great power. (laughs) No, but uh, it was actually... Um, a little easier to come over in the 1600s compared compared to before. It was still not super easy, but it was a lot of restrictions. You had to have a passport, even if you were Swedish, to only travel, even travel within Sweden. You needed a passport, and it just 1600s made us a little bit more international. Well, we we had a big fleet of uh, trade going on in the Eastern Sea mainly during the 1600s as yes, well. Yes, definitely. And we, and we had some kings who tried to take over the world. Yeah, and uh, in some ways succeeded. And yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> anyways, uh, what I'm trying to say is uh, we had some people coming in writing about like what it's like to be in Sweden, and those are really fun to read, these accounts. We got a bunch of French people, uh, or at least two I read the accounts of, back-to-back. They wrote quite a bit. And a few Italians. Uh, one guy came over and he saw when they brought out the cannons from the from the Vasa ship with the di- with the old school diving bells and he also wrote, wrote about the weird drinking uh, traditions in in Sweden. In some of these examples we also have a Danish guy who complained about the the beer. That's actually <laughs> <laughs> the reason we know about this is not because he wrote about it but because it got to court because he got so pissed oh. off. <laughs> he was at the royal palace uh drinking beer so he's pr- apparently an important 
Danish guy, but he got so pissed off that he broke the plates and screamed and poured everything out and was acting like a maniac. And this, the interesting part of this is it got all the way up to court and they dismissed it because they said, okay, you say that the beer was sour, but that's not very strange because it was summertime. So it's like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> the beer was sour, but that's okay because it was summer. <laughs> but the hop history in Sweden is, is kind of weird as well. I, I, uh, a couple of years back, uh, I think it was uh, Nordisk Museum, they had a big uh, hops ex- exhibition. And I was there and I interviewed the woman who was in charge of everything. And that was yeah. really cool to see the history of Swedish hops. Yeah. And it was a national law that you had to grow hops if you had a certain amount of acres of, of farmland. Yeah. That that uh, comes back uh, time and time again. And I think it goes back to, I think it's 1350s for the first time when it becomes obligatory. And I think it's Magnus Eriksson's Landslag. I'm not sure. Uh, but then it's obligatory that if you have a certain amount of land, you grow this and this much. Uh, but what, it also comes back with Gustav Vasa in the 1500s. And by then, uh, he has a big part in church because we're Lutheran. So 10% goes to church vis-a-vis, in, in other words, the king. Mm-hmm. So by that point, uh, it was... Because it was the king's hops. Yeah. yeah. You, really were able to, you were allowed to use it, but if the king came along, you had to give it away. Yeah. Yeah, you, you ha- he needed hops, and he was really pissed off. Gustav also was really pissed off because so much money went to Germany to buy hops. It was at its worst. Uh, it's somewhere in the beginning of the 1500s. I believe somewhere around 10% of the total income to Sweden from iron ore, which was our biggest export, 10% of that money went towards Germany to buy Hops, and you need to remember Damn, that's a lot of money. <laughs> that we used a few hundred grams of hops per hundred kilos of malt. So it was not like an IPA where you use a lot of hops. It was just moderately hopped, but still. So that's how much beer we drank back in those days. So. And I heard also that uh, the king actually sent uh, surveyors out to see if you followed these laws. The punishments were quite harsh. They <laughs> ranged from everything from. Uh, fine to actually death penalty if you were really if you were a big landowner and just yeah. didn't grow any hops for the king. Yeah. But the farms north of Sundsvall got an exception, and he sent out a survey to see, and, and, and the survey came back and said, "Well, the climate is just not good enough for no. growing hops up there." Sweden sounds yeah. like a fun place back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was for beer drinkers, or uh, beer lovers. Th- the funny thing is also that. Nobody was allowed to drink German beers there for a while because Gustav Vasa got so pissed off and it was so expensive. So uh, the only people drinking the imports was essentially the king and his buddies because we had one of those, like, by uh, Stutoriats. We had the um, the one really, like, fancy bar or restaurant where they would have import wines and, and import beers and... Nobody was really allowed to drink those, so so I just feel like he was the bully telling everybody else what to do, and he was the guy drinking all the beer coming in from Germany. <laughs> so, but what's the story about? Because uh, we didn't just drink beer; we drank mead. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And braget. Yes, definitely the braget or the mölska is like uh, the way of combining the ingredients that you have. Because mead um, is basically honey and water. Yes. Uh, that ferments. It would have been just honey, but you need a little bit more liquid to be able to drink it. So, yeah, you just mix up honey and water and then 
yeah, you ferment that, and then you get a rather strong. And a milk is basically a beer that you mix with honey, so you get the fermentation from the honey as well. Yeah, and the way um, the way I've seen it described throughout like the uh, Middle Ages is that you would have like you had a little jar of honey in your cupboard, or <laughs> well somewhere cupboard might well anyways uh in your in storage and if there was a big party you wanted to have an extra strong like one extra strong beer you go in and you take that honey and you dump it into your batch and you make a stronger festive beer or well that makes it a braggot or a mulska yeah. in swedish yeah but with with mead where did adding fruits come later or is that also historical like the did did it add fruit as well uh well it seems like we've always uh, as long as it becomes if it can become alcohol <laughs> then we <laughs> we make we it we like it yeah <laughs> all right so <laughs> uh so i mean i think that the birch sap thing describes that best like who would have thought of that otherwise uh um, well, sweet if a man's do it hey, yeah. drunk yeah. Uh, yes let's make it <laughs> yeah so um i was imagine the first guy who, who tried beer when he said the spontaneous yeast Some lone guy in a farm. It tastes like shit, but I get barrel. But it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> What is that water bubbling in there? <laughs> it tastes. He got drunk. Like, oh, let's do that again. <laughs> yeah. But how, how how do you study the history? Like, since since there's nothing like one book written down. Like, this is history of the beer in Sweden. Or no, it, um, it's, it's well, there is actually one. Uh, there, there is one like the the book, if you if you will. I have it here somewhere. Well, there it's it's in two volumes, but it's a little outdated, and he uses very uh, historic Swedish sometimes. Um, but it's essentially the history of beer in Sweden is what mm-hmm. it says. It's what it's called. But generally speaking, you got to find tidbits here and there. There are a few people that have written about alcoholic beverages throughout Swedish history, and then you find something about beer. But what I try to do is find the uh, the original source. Uh, if I read something and they mention something, okay, I want to find that one. Like, for example, in the case of the people visiting from other places, that's really fun because that way you go in and you find the original the original book and you can read more than than what the person... And just the exempt. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I'm not an historian in the way that I go in to dig into archives and find the actual original, but I want to find the whole story. So... Mm-hmm. You got to read many books, but a little bit of every book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, guys, I'm just gonna uh, say that this this episode is going to be in two parts because it's going to be too long to do one part because mm-hmm. we're still not done. <laughs> we're far from it, yeah. so we're gonna take a little break, and you guys are gonna have to listen to us uh, in the next episode, uh, the end of this lovely podcast. With whatever you do, wait. For us. Yes. <laughs> All right. Wait for better beer. <laughs> Wait for better beer. <laughs> okay. All right. Cheers. 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 That's it for this time. Make sure you tune in next Friday for the second part of our beer history talk with Joel Edman. And until then, drink better beer. <laughs>